So we're in a series called Upon This Rock, and we're going to talk through um, more of John chapter 15 today. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn there with us and go to John chapter 15. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, My wife did an excellent job on the passage, The Vine and the Branches, and I felt it was necessary to not add on to her message, but to continue that thought in John chapter 15. The title of my message today is Jesus Calls You Friend. I think in the world around us, and if you've talked to anybody who's ever been jaded, they've been hurt by the church, maybe they had an issue or a family member or a relationship of some sort, uh, maybe there was a challenge and conflict and they got mistreated or mishandled by the church, they turn their nose up at the thought of the family of God and they don't really have a friendly perspective or point of view when it comes to the church. Regardless of that, Jesus still calls us friends. Those who follow him, he calls friends. And so um, I think there are many different ways you can look at that. And we could unpack a lot of different things in John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. We'll begin reading. But I want to read that passage first and get us focused in the right direction. So after Jesus talks about the vine and the branches um, and calls them branches, then in verse 12 he says this, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. I want you to really just dwell on the meaning of Jesus' own words. He gave a command and said, I want you to love one another As I have loved you. That's a tall order, as they say. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. Verse 16 says this powerful statement. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain or should abide that it should last, amen? So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17 closes that passage by saying, these things I command you so that you will love one another. There's a story about John who was a disciple and became an apostle, who was a leader in the start of the church, that happens in Acts and in the following seasons of life. There's a story that John, when he was retired and finished with his exile in Patmos, that he resided in a place called Ephesus and that he attended services there. 
he, he would go and he was old at this point and he would go and sit in the meetings as they joined together to break bread and to share, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to focus in on Jesus and remember what he told them. And he was asked, as the story is told or the tradition holds, he was asked regularly, please, you were with him Can you tell us about him? Can you share some details about him? Can you just tell us what it was like to spend a day with Jesus? And in his age, being old and at this point very frail, there's one moment, we're told, that he stands, musters the strength to stand. And he just says these three words, love one another. He was the disciple that we know is the one who's called the one who is loved by Jesus. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. So hearing his telling of events in John in that gospel is something that you should really latch on to and understand. This was a man who really came to know who Jesus was and the love of God. So love is no doubt a prominent theme that you'll find and we know as we just read, it's going to be contrasted, if you finish reading the rest of John chapter 15, it'll be contrasted in light of the enemies or the world being an enemy and hating those who are loved by God. It was happening back then. It is happening today. It even happens here in America. But without going into the one anothering of love or the, the conflict between the hatred of the world and the love for one another, what I want to do is I want to zero in on the titles that Jesus used in that passage, that short passage that we read. I think if we come to understand that in a better light, we'll understand more about who we are called to be. Because truly, Jesus called them his friends, and I believe he still does call those who follow him his friends. When I said earlier, God is a family man, I don't mean to um, speak down of his nature and not call him divine, but he is all about family. He is all about family. And he's been like that since our very beginning. In fact, if we are to understand the character of God, we would understand that he has always been about family. Before we even were a creation, he longed for a people, longed for a creation to call his own that would worship and love him and serve him. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read many different details about um, the people of Israel and how they were enslaved in Egypt, and God did what? He set them free. Once they were free, they were No longer slaves. I know this sounds elementary, but I want you to understand something. Because I believe there are believers, even in this very room today, who still see themselves 10 years into their Christian faith, in their walk with Christ. They see themselves only as a slave to religion or to a set of rules. They don't see themselves as a son or a daughter in light of what Jesus actually just told his disciples, and his words echo true even today. 
There's something interesting there that he says. He says, you are no longer servants, no longer called servants. And he gives them this small picture, this window to look through, and tells them, here's how you know the difference. A servant, this is my paraphrase of what Jesus' intent was, a servant blindly obeys for fear of retribution in order to get the job done and keep the master happy. Jesus says, but I haven't treated you like that. I brought you in like family. You know the things that I know as his only begotten son. I've shared with you those things. And he gives them authority and power and instruction to then call upon that same God, his heavenly father and ours, so that anything that they ask in his name might be given to them. And that doesn't happen to those who are enslaved. You raise your voice in a prison cell anywhere on this world and ask for a brand new TV or a hot KFC dinner or you know Cracker Barrel or something that you miss while you're incarcerated. And you know what you'll get? Nothing. You won't get anything. Because you're a slave in the system, to the system. So what I'm trying to get you to understand today and break you free from is that idea that you're merely a servant. Yes, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, we are all slaves and you get to choose. Will you be a slave to yourself? Will you be a slave to the enemy? Will you be a slave to God? In one respect, we are slaves. I'm not, I'm not disavowing that completely. But what I'm getting to is the nature of the family of God is not a bunch of slaves. It's a bunch of sons. It's a bunch of daughters who together call upon the name of the Lord, who encourage one another and uh, build one another up, who build the kingdom of God as you go through the Old Testament. You start to see those ex-slaves then becoming owners. They now own property. God's given them a land. They've taken it for themselves. They are living it. They've now got a king and a kingdom. But God is trying to build them into a people. And he says this from our very beginning, the history that you read in Genesis. He says that he wants to have a people in whom They will worship him and serve him. He will be their God and they will be his people. Not in a slavery and mastery relationship, but in a familial or a family relationship. One of the encouraging things to remember when you're facing hard and difficult times is that Jesus loves you, that God loves you and cares for you. We know some of those details from Scripture. He knows the hair on our head. If he feeds the birds, how much more will he take care of you? And we could go through the whole list today. The point is this, to shift your thinking from, I don't really know if he should ever really hear my prayer. To going boldly before your father who loves you and would give literally anything in order to make you his own. And he did. He gave his one and only begotten son. In fact, the same apostle, John, writes in another location and says, Love is demonstrated by this, that he loved you while you were yet Sinners. 
Somebody ought to get encouraged today that God loved you even while you were dirty in the gutters of life. You say, well, pastor, I've never been homeless and a drug addict and been this and been that. A murderer, a thief, a this. No, maybe you haven't. But you still don't deserve the love of God. There's nothing that you can do in this life to earn it. He loves you because he chooses to love you. You don't get to choose the family you're born into. That's unfortunate for some. (laughs) Don't nudge your parent if they're here in the room, okay? You don't get to choose them. But it's been said and it's been rehearsed or restated in different ways. Friends are the family you choose. I've had several deep friendships throughout my life uh, that have carried me through thick and thin. Friends that have been there, uh, prayed with me in the middle of the night, called and checked on me after bad things happened or chaos ensued, um, still check in on me. I, I have friends that I do that for. Friendship, I think, is a necessity in life on earth. You say, no, I just need to get married. I just need a spouse. No, you need a friend. (laughs) That friend might turn into a spouse, praise God. But what I'm getting at is this. Friendship is necessary in this life to live a fulfilled life on this planet. And I think, understandably, Jesus knew this. And he's pointing at something deep in the needs of the heart of the men who he was standing there. Saying, we've hung out a lot. You've, you've done what I've asked. But I just want you to know, you're my friend. I think I could probably preach a men's retreat message on the necessity for men, men, to have and to uphold friendship. I think that's a lost art. Um, I think that's necessary. Find a friend. Make a friend. The Bible has a lot to say about friendship, actually. It says you can't cower in a corner and wait for somebody to invite you. You must be a friend. You must be friendly. There's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs and Psalms all throughout God's word. Here's some non-biblical truth about friendship from Dale Carnegie. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book. It's famous. It was written in the early or mid-30s, 1930s. And uh, he wrote a, a book called How to Win Friends or Make Friends and Influence People. And um, he was an author and an influencer, a lecturer. He says this about friendship. Listen, he says, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people, other people interested in you. You know what that highlights? It highlights the very real truth of humanity that selfishness doesn't really draw a crowd, but selflessness invites people in. Generosity, kindness, hospitality, those sorts of attributes are things that draw you in. And by God, those are the same attributes that drew people to Jesus in the days he lived on earth, and they are the same that should be drawing people to Jesus in these days more than 2,000 years later. It's amazing that Jesus called these guys friends. Just think for a moment. 
about some of the descriptors, you know them for these guys. I've called them a ragtag crew before. They They were hopeless without Jesus. Really and truly. Peter, what's he known for? Denying. So, okay, Peter the denier. Sounds like he's going to be a great friend. (laughs) Right? Think about James and John. They're known as the sons of Zebedee. That was their dad's name. But sons of thunder, which meant that, I'm just going to put it in today's English, it seems to me like they were overzealous troublemakers. They were rabble-rousers. They were maybe the ones that were always spoiling for a fight, as the old lingo goes. You know, Matthew, he worked for what we would call the IRS. I mean, maybe it's good to have friends that work in the IRS, but I don't know if I would have picked him. I just don't. What about Thomas? Jesus has been crucified. He's now showing up. He has his physical body. It's so interesting and awesome. I can't wait to talk about it at Easter. Jesus shows up in the middle of a room that the door's been locked. Somehow physically there, he walked through a wall and got into the room after his death. And Thomas, even in that moment, needs to know, be certain that it's him. And Jesus says, even though you're not supposed to, touch my side. Know that I am who I say I am. So Thomas the doubter. Judas the traitor. Doesn't this sound like a great group of friends? I'm not encouraging. uh, Today we've got teenagers in the room. Listen, the friends you choose are so important. I can't say this loud enough, long enough, hard enough. I heard it when I was a kid and I thought, yeah, those other people don't know what they're talking about. Birds of a feather flock together. They do. Because the trouble I got into as a kid, I blame it on the friends I was with, okay? I blame, blame it on my brother. I blame it on, no, I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, the friends you choose are important, and we need those. The oldest person in this room might be touching 80, 80 years today, maybe even past 80. You still need friends. You do. And more than friends in a human sense, you need friendship with God. You need friendship with God. So this crew that Jesus has gotten together may be a good crew if you're going to try to pull off a bank heist. But it sure doesn't sound like the crew you need in order to transform the world with a religion. (laughs) But yet he calls them friends. Even more amazing than that, I don't know what your descriptor might be. But he calls you a friend. This is good. This is good news. It's the the news of the gospel is that Dexter the fill in the blank, Julie the fill in the blank, Andrew the fill in the blank, whatever it is that you were or will do, God wants to be friends with you. Because he loves you and he is in fact love. Verse 16 tells us that he chose them. He chose them. 
that means look at, look at me and listen to me for a moment. He chose them not based on their accolades, their achievements, what they, the potential. He chose them because he chose them. He chose them because he loved them. In fact, he knew all of their faults and flaws. He knew what they would do. He knew that Judas would betray him. This was not a mystery to Jesus. He knew that Thomas would be in that room and would doubt him and that he would have to give permission and say, look and see, this is really me. He knew that Peter was going to deny, but he knew that Peter was going to help build the church. He knew the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he knows that about you. That can be comforting or concerning, depending on how you look at it. Depending on what area of life or what phase of life you're in. He knew that Thomas would end up going to the far-flung reaches of India to plant churches and to build Christian believers in that continent. It's, it's proven historical records that Thomas went to India. He knew the good, he also knew the bad, and he knew everything in between, and yet he still chose them. That's encouraging because he still chooses me. He still chooses you. With all your failings, all your warts, he knows all of the stench of your sin, and yet he says, I want you. I want you to be mine. That's amazing. It really is. And so this helps me understand a little bit more about the family of God. Because if we're all considered friends of Jesus as believers, not all people. Now, you'll have to come back for another message on that topic. I've said it before. I will say it again because there are guests here and you may just hear something new today. We are not all God's children. There's, there's something stupid that got promoted years and years ago that every human on earth is God's child. That is not true. You are God's child by your choosing. Amen? You've got to, be, you've got to make the choice to choose to become a child of God. Why do I say that? Because then you take a step as a child of God, like those who were up here today that said, I'm choosing you. I'm, I've already chosen him, but now I've choose, chosen you. And when I think about the family of God, I think there are warts. I think there are ugly things. Pastor, how can you say that? You're the pastor. Listen, I've been around a little while. <laughs> I know that we're not perfect. You're not, I'm, I'm sure not perfect. And I'm a child of God. The family of God is not a perfect institution, but yet he loves it. He calls it his bride. He wants to be reunited or united with the bride at the end of our time when he calls us home. He wants us to be with him for all eternity, and we're going to be together. I think you might be surprised at who you'll find when you get up there. If it really is the imagination that we have, and we, we talk about heaven as a, a, a spiritual place with a physical reality. We talk about the true end of all things means a new heaven and new earth. 
uh, for us to live on and work, and there'll be crops to plant, but there won't be bugs to eat it and ruin the crops. There'll be fun things for us to do. We're not going to float on a cloud with a harp, okay? That's not what I'm dying for. If that was all that I'm telling you this, if that was all that attracted you or anyone to a religion, you might as well just live it up and find your place in hell. You say, Pastor, what? Yeah, you've heard the celebrities talk about it or the rock stars or the whoever, that they, they're just happily on their way. I'm telling you, if all it is is you hovering on a cloud... It's not going to be worth eternity. But if you get to be with the God of all creation who formed you in your mother's womb, knew every day of your life, knew your sins and knew your weaknesses, but yet knew the good that you would do as well and loves you, then that's worth living for. And in order to live for that, you've got to have people alongside you, family, That's what we would call it, but friends that come alongside you and encourage you through thick and thin and help you remain committed to your belief in this God of all creation. Let me tell you this as I close in just a moment. There's a relationship that is prominent in Scripture, and I want to highlight something that my wife, I'm not going to do it better than her. I'm not going to try to change her words around. I'm going to highlight something that she said last week that I wanted to say this week that also shows up in Abraham's life and in the moment with the disciples that Jesus just had. If you look closely, and this is how I encourage you to read your Bible at home. Don't just breeze through the verse of the day, but really, really focus. If you look at verse 14, Jesus says this, You are my friends if you do what I command. God's love is unconditional. It can reach the serial killer. It can reach the child predator. It can reach the bank robber. It can reach the housewife, the stay-at-home mama. It can reach everything and anything in between. But I've got to tell you the balancing statement to that is God has conditions. His love knows no bounds, but in order for you to experience his love in a fruitful way, you must understand there is something you have to do. A prayer is not going to cut it when you're seven years old in a cute little church with pews and you know all that stuff. That's not going to cut it. What's going to get you to be at the place where you can say, I have a friendship with God, is that you do what he commands you to do. Well, you say, well, pastor, hold on a second, because it seems like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. That, awfully, that sounds awfully like servanthood or slavery. You're thinking about it all wrong. It sounds like love. I'm saying this to all the teenagers in the room now. You obey, you should obey, not for fear of punishment, but because you know that your parents love you and that you're a contributing member of the family. So the eye roll that you do when the whole, can you please take out the trash? I've asked you 12 times. 
do it. Obey. When It's funny, too, because in God's kingdom, just like where treasure is, we talk about that when we talk about giving, it says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, what I'm here to tell you today is there are some times that you don't feel the goosebumps and the wonderful ooey-gooey love feeling, but you still, com- you still commit yourself to obey the command because you know that love is there. You, you understand that God is love and he's calling you to something, change of some sort, transformation of some sort, because he loves you. We say this in our church, he loves you enough to not leave you alone. Which is great when you think about partnership, but also he's always got his finger on something. I was talking to a believer who's been a believer 60 plus years recently. And they shared with me what God is speaking to them about what they need to change in their life. And I thought, surely you're at the end. You can live it up now. You've, you've obeyed throughout all of this time, right? But that saint still had something that they felt. There's something, you know, I, it's this one area. And they said what the area was. That I just, I'm really struggling to let, let the Lord really have that in my heart. And I thought, wow, that's encouraging to know that you are not perfect yet. Even if you've been a believer for all that time, you're not perfect. Here's what I want to tell you about the idea of family and friends as we talk through Abraham very quickly. The Bible says this about Abraham in Genesis chapter 26. Uh, You can read that chapter at your own leisure. It says that Abraham obeyed God, and I'm going to put these two words out there. This will, man, this will speak to a teenager in the room. It'll speak to a spouse in the room. Abraham obeyed even when it was inconvenient and difficult. You got to understand, the God of all creation was basically letting Abraham dream a dream about some great future that lies out there somewhere and a promise, and then the son who is promised actually arrives, and now he's asked to go and give him away. You say, well, that, I don't understand that about God. God was testing the limits of his obedience and demonstrating his love in that moment. Sometimes we go through hard stuff in this life. God might actually ask you to go through something difficult and challenging because he wants to help you and he wants to show you his love through thick and thin. Meanwhile, we're over here belly aching. God, why me? God, why this? Why now? And God's saying, just obey You know that I love you. Just obey. And as we obey, even when it's inconvenient and difficult, we'll see that as we honor God, our attitude will change and eventually our circumstances will too. The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, verse 8 about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
yet he's later called a friend of God. That God spoke with him face to face as a friend with a friend. When you think about the aspects in the life of Abraham, it wasn't just that you hold on and even though you're old, you're going to have a kid and he's going to be great and you're going to many nations, blah, blah, blah. And I don't mean to demean God's word. I'm just trying to say like, you know, you get the whole idea in the image. The first thing Abraham was told to do, and he was married. He had to convince his spouse, his wife, pack your bags, baby. (laughs) We're going. Where are we going? Abe? Well, I don't know. But God said go, so we're packing. Do we have faith like that? Do we have obedience in our lives like that where we can then really understand what Jesus is communicating in John chapter 15, verse 16, when he says, you are my friends if you obey what I command. It's funny how we talk about love and obedience in the same holistic sort of way. Abraham was a friend of God and he obeyed. There are many other testimonies in scripture about those who demonstrated a depth or a deep relationship with God. If you're new here or visiting today, at the end of our service, what we do is we have a, what we call a worship encore, just a one final song to help us focus in on the detail of the message. And really, my prayer is every single week that we would listen to the Holy Spirit, whatever he's saying to you. You say, well, Pastor, I haven't heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. You probably have. You didn't recognize it as such, but you probably have. In fact, if I mentioned something today in my message, or if your mind wandered, not to lunch, but to that issue of unforgiveness in your heart, or that situation in your past, or that thing, chances are very great, a high percentage. That's the Holy Spirit putting his finger on that thing, saying, you do obey me really well. You've obeyed as my child, as a child of the king, you've obeyed. You, you are my child. You understand that. I understand that. But there's this one area that we really need to talk about. He's like a good father. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Are you, are you with me? He's like a good father who says, you know, honey, you're doing so great on your schoolwork. I really appreciate that. But... In addition to that, I really need you to help in the kitchen a little bit more. Well, maybe she doesn't like helping in the kitchen. Maybe she doesn't want to do the dishes. Maybe she doesn't. But I'm putting my finger on an area that says this is where you could kind of use some improvement. That's what God does by his Holy Spirit on the earth today in believers' lives. So much so that the believer who was 60 plus years in the faith would have the ability to say, there's this one thing that the Lord just won't let go of and I'm, I can't let go of it and I'm trying to and I don't know how to do it that needed to walk in that way. That is so good to know that he loves us and wants us to be his own. And he wants you to be the best version of you. 
He doesn't want you to maintain all of those scars and keep nursing those wounds and have all those warts growing and infesting. He wants to help make you into the best version that you can be while here on this earth. And I don't say that in a prosperity gospel kind of way that he wants to give you the best job and the highest bank account and those things. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about the challenges of life that he wants to help you because he's your friend. I want to see your hands today if you've ever had a truly great friendship in your life. Truly great. Look at all these hands. It's amazing. Some young hands and much older hands being raised. You understand then what I'm getting at today. Here's what I want to do. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. We'll take communion in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity to become a friend of God. If you're here today, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been in the church many times before. But you say, Pastor, I am not I could not be categorized as a friend of God. I don't know him. I don't have a relationship. I have not built on uh, that relationship. I've not declared my faith. But today is different. I want the God of all creation to be my friend. If that's you and you're here today, I want you to just raise your hand. Just signify to me and to God that you want to become friends with God. It's, it's really, truly, the first step is so easy. It's crazy how easy it is. It's the rest of life that is the challenge and walking in faith later. But today, the easiest part is to just say yes. So is there anybody here, before I move on, is there anybody here that says, I would like to become a friend of God? If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you for doing so. I'm going to encourage you. There were uh, at least two hands that I saw. I want to encourage you, everyone, remain with your eyes closed. If you raised your hand, all you must do is admit that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, that you believe Jesus is your Savior, and ask Him to come and be your Savior and your Lord or your Master. It's so good to know that he loves us regardless of our past, regardless of the things we'll mess up in the future. He loves us. So admit that you're a sinner. Confess you need him to save you and allow him to become the Lord of your life, to invade every area, even the hidden things and the stuff that has cobwebs. Let him into all those places and let him be the ruler of your life and your heart and you are a Christian. If you're a believer here today and you say, Pastor, I feel there's something lacking in my obedience in my relationship with God, and I really want to shore up. I want to strengthen my friendship with God, and I just want to admit that I I need his help to obey. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to challenge you who just raised your hands. Don't forget this moment. It's the moment of an open door from the prison cell that you've been in. Amen? So work on it with God's help. 
if you know that area of obedience, and it could be uh, serving in the church, it could be joining the church, it could be giving, it could be witnessing, sharing your testimony with others, it could be evangelism or partnership in some way. It could be many different things that God is speaking to you. Act upon it today and begin that process, that path forward. Let me say this to every believer in this room. It is a time-tested truth, very simple. We use it with our kids. You may not have heard it before, but I will tell you, it applies to the kingdom of God, and it is this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If I ask you to take the trash out, you stop what you're doing, you get up, and you take the trash out. If you wait and do your other things, it's because you are your priority. Same thing is true in the family of God, in the body of Christ, and with those who he calls friends. When he calls us to do something, when he calls you in a new year to become part of a church, or when he calls you to give more or do more or share more of your faith and testimony, when he does that, he doesn't, he's not waiting for you to get a better job and to find that other thing. And to, he wants it done. So by all means, don't delay in your obedience. Whatever it is that you felt God calling you to today by his spirit, immediately begin to take steps to obey. That's the only way to life and good, healthy friendship with Jesus. Amen. So I throw up my hands and praise you.